I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Ducky? Oh, God! Oh, Jesus Christ! Start recording my end now. Crap. Dang. All right, we'll just... Are you rolling? I'm rolling. Oh, uh, that's good, because the listeners could imagine that we just had one of the best jokes on the show not recorded, ever. And I can't repeat yeah, it. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But, I mean, that was some upper management talk that we were doing. Yeah. Oh well. All right, welcome to Mortem. I was gonna say, got to save the jokes for the upper management. You got to make them laugh with your powerpoints. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I, I think I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna start saving the jokes for the big guys. Yeah. So with that said, uh, hello, you big guys. Welcome to Roast Mortem, uh, the only show worth quoting on any of your research papers. My name is Tom. My name is Travis. No one else is here. It's the upper yeah. management. Upper management's coming down. We're talking to our employees. We're giving you a hype. You know, there's a hype. There's a, we want you to see sell, sell, sell. Buy, buy, buy. Right. At roastmortem at roastmortemcast.com slash Patreon. Don't sell. Buy. We've done a really good job of branding things and not, then not sticking to them. So oh, with yeah. that in mind, I'd like to brand these two-person episodes, the upper management episodes. Oh, yeah. And we'll change that. We'll change that to, like, different things over time because we're going to have branding. Next time will be just the two-way docking episode. Who knows? <laughs> Two brothers docking alone. <laughs> my brother docks him. My other brother docks that brother. You can't beat that combination. I love it. I, I love Long Island. Uh, uh, I can't wait to kill myself on it or leave. Those are my two uh, options. Yeah, the the brothers docking. Uh, the slogan is uh, "Our penises are kissing, and we're exposing each other's information to the internet." It's that simple. Um, hello, yeah. everyone. Uh, I don't know. I feel empty a bit because Connor and Mike, nor guest, is here. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not saying you're not enough man for me, but dude, I've been going to the gym. I got way more man now. Yeah, you're looking a little more squared I, I learned off. about what like, muscles are, dude. Look at these muscles moving around. Yeah, you got a pump, dude. Uh, I'll be honest, though. Speaking of gym talk, I guess we can just do combined how our weeks were, like with yeah. a normal conversation. You, you've been doing the LA Fitness thing, right? Yeah, absolute garbage on Long Island. Because uh, part of How Would You Week, I was back in New York last weekend. Didn't see you guys because I was busy. I was so yeah. busy. Yeah, you have run around, important people to see. Running around, going upstate, and then when I came back, I was like, oh, let me go to LA Fitness in uh, Comac. Disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> it's horrible. I hate that place. Um, planet Fitness was better. I'm just, they got a whole planet to expand to. What was clean? They had, like, the staff was nice. They were like, hey, how you doing, man? And they'd be vacuuming and wiping things down. And here, there's, like three people on staff and they have like an office where i guess they anticipate that they're going to be signing up six people at any given moment <laughs> it's the dumbest thing like you're doing this online anyway it's filthy there i hate it um but i'm not going to stop going because i've made a commitment and that's how they get you, you got a muscle dude got a muscle through it 
Yeah, no, I was back in New York. I had my pizzas. I ate Chinese food. I went to gym. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. It was really, really cold last week. Yeah. I have not experienced, like, single-digit cold in a long time. <laughs> yeah, West Coast so. doesn't get that bad, right? Not where I am, not in Portland. I mean, it goes down, I don't know, lows, maybe 20s sometimes, occasionally. But it's nothing. I'm from New York. I'm tough. Yeah. You're from New York. Yeah. That's nothing to you. Yeah, no. Yeah, but I, I've acclimated. So I went upstate, and I was just like, oh, it's cold. Yeah, the I mean. windshield wiper fluid froze up. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, that happened last night. I was driving home. I was like, eh, use a little fluid. <laughs> Terrible idea. Could have caused a, a horrible pileup. Didn't. Oh, especially, especially with a Jeep. That can cause an explosion if it's frozen. You know? Oh, yeah. F- flipping over. The mm-hmm. the front axle just locks up as soon as as soon as the car detects fire, front axle locks up front flip every time. <laughs> yeah. Front flip, that's good. It's good stuff. Um, let's see, I saw some friends last night. That was fine. They were drunk. Oh hell yeah! And uh, I was not as drunk. Wait, you didn't brown it? Uh, I, I'm still like trying to behave, man. Oh, I really am. To- what are you drinking there, though? You're drinking some Spanish juice? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is Guarana. This is Antarctica? Bra- they made it in Antarctica? So the biggest drink distributor in Brazil is a company called Antarctica. Oh, And right. this is their one of their biggest drinks. It's called Guarana, and it's highly caffeinated. Oh, right. It's, it's, it's made from pe- penguin bile or something? Some like Antarctica? Like Honestly, right. it's... The sweetest thing. Like, this is what Latin America is to me. Just too much sugar in liquid. You know what I mean? <laughs> and hidden Nazis. <laughs> That's how you can spot they them hide. out. And that guy didn't put nearly as much sugar as our our town deems <laughs> necessary. Yeah. He's obviously a Nazi. He's probably of European descent. Yeah, he's definitely of European. The blue eyes, blonde hair did not give it away. Yeah. Uh, there, there's this term that I learned, but my father-in-law told me, uh, a stupid dementia gelada. Every beer needs to be served like, I don't know if I'm phrasing it right, but it's basically just like stupid cold. <laughs> a stupid, stupid dementia cold? gelada. <laughs> yeah, so. I like that. Yeah. It's well, we're going to be talking about a place where they have uh, beer requirements, in terms of you have to fill the beer up to a certain point, they get very serious about that. Awesome. All right, so I assume you're taking me back right now. Who is on the chopping block? What are we doing? Reeling you in. The show part. Reeling you in. The formulaic show part. Where are we going? Yeah. So, uh, Tom, both you and I have worked in retail together. Um, When we were deli boys, we were deli men. It was a high-end deli. It was a high-end deli. I mean, I've also have experience at coffee shops. I, you know, I've worked other retail areas. You know, getting them fucking them groceries at the high-end grocery store I used to work at. Yeah. Now, as somebody that works in retail, what is the most or has worked in retail? What is the most despised phrase you've ever heard from a manager or a boss? I'm gonna guess. Uh, should I guess sincerely? Sincerely, give me a guess. The customer's always right. That's right. The customer is always right. Yeah. And today, 
We are roasting the man who coined that very phrase, the customer is always right, Harry Gordon Selfridge. Harry Gordon Selfridge. I want... We're... Okay. <laughs> when you're working in a Long Island upscale supermarket, mm -hmm. there's no way that these Zandout retarded mothers coming in there are right about anything. They are literally hitting cars on the way in. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, like the amount of things that are wrong before they even make it through the door. How does that translate to them being right ever? I don't know. It's been infuriating. It's, it's a good way to die quickly, living by that credo. I mean, trust me, when I worked at the coffee shop, some people would come in, they'd be like, can I get like 10 packets of sugar and like eight pumps of syrup in my coffee, please? Like, no, you are not right. You're not right. I'm going to help you by not giving you this. <laughs> not right in your stupid head. Yeah, yeah. that's a terrible thing. <laughs> so, but also, But also, I, as a customer, I have used that. Well, I mean, I've you tried it. I've tried to I've tried to masturbate in the pants section of Macy's and they were like, "Excuse me, sir, get out." Well, here's I'm the like, thing. Like, well, I'm always right, dude. I was going to buy these pants. I had to mark them. I had to see how they stain. Everywhere it matters, it doesn't apply. It's all like surface level shit. Oh yeah. You know, like you can't call Fios and be like, uh, "Can you give me a like a day that you're going to show up?" and they'll be like, "No." <laughs> no, can't do that. You're always right. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, no, you are not right. You are just being charged too much. Yeah. That's yeah. would best define this relationship. So this name, Selfridge, Harry Gordon Selfridge, it may sound foreign to the average American, but if we have any British listeners listening, they know exactly the name Selfridge because Selfridge uh, was and in some extent still is London's premier department store. Um, so talking about uh, a, a type of business that's definitely going out of fashion very quickly, the department store, the mall. Um, yeah, it, so Amer it is weird that in today's day and age, I kind of missed that. I know, right? Yeah. Like, I, I've nice always, I still hate them to their yeah. core, but yeah. Um, yeah, so while Mar Americans might not know the name Selfridge, they are certainly aware of the commercial revolution that he started, which was the department store, the shopping mall, even uh, down to simple inventory and floor layouts evolved from this retail magnate. Um, cool. So this guy invented a lot of the ways you are. It also like going to a mall, right? You know, I like you were saying, I miss that. I remember when our local mall changed over. It used to be, you know, you'd go walk into this mall and it smelled like chlorine and there was like... You know, these shitty fountains, and you had that jazz music, this vaporwave jazz music playing, and now it's all like the shoppies. Yeah, they're really trying to keep a certain... Um, it's a social activity more than anything now, which is... Like, let's face it. Malls, they have a purpose, and it's like you must contain the people during their day. Like, the people you don't want in other places in society, send them there. It yeah. does work because you don't have to go there. <laughs> yeah, right? You just put them there. Yeah. So you love Walmart? Of course you don't. Selfridges. You know Amazon? Of course you don't. You don't like it. You like it. You don't like it. Of course. It's digital Selfridges. That's what it is. 
This man uh, revolutionized how we buy things, but he must have been an absolute terror to work for, and which is what we're going to get into. Awesome. Tell me about this man. Now, uh, also, uh, Jeff Bezos, I know you're a big fan of the show, um, and I know you listen to every week. Uh, you try to you know, evolve your business. This should be a tip to you, because Harry Selfridge... Was like a bill was an equivalent to a billionaire of its time. I mean, this guy like was a Jeff Bezos. He started a commercial revolution, but he eventually he squandered away all of his money to the point where he died, and his family had barely enough money to pay for a tombstone. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. So, without further duties, let's jump right into the man himself, Selfridge. Yeah, it's been a long duties. Yeah, it was a long duty. <clears throat> so, as I mentioned, Selfridges was London's biggest department store. So, as you can imagine, our story begins January 11th, 1858 in Ripon, Wisconsin. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good. I like that so, deflection there. Yeah. yeah. Harry was a uh, Yankee cheese man, right? Living out in Wisconsin in the 1850s. Mm. So when Harry was five, uh, his father, Robert Oliver Selfridge, at the age of 38, he was also uh, the master of the Ripon uh, Freemason Lodge. Uh, so this Robert Oliver enlisted in the Union Army to go fight them damn dirty rebels. Now, sadly, Oliver would not return from the war, leaving behind his wife, Lois, Harry, and two older brothers. Now, you know, the Civil War took a lot of good men to their grave. You know, it was a very, you know, there's a lot of loss there. You know, this guy was a was a staple of his community. Um mm. Robert Oliver Selfridge was not one of those men that died, though. He just never came back to Wisconsin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's smart though. It, yeah. It's always smart to start over again. You can't start over again in 2022. There's too no. many you're on paper too much. Well, so Lois actually found out that Robert survived, like, five years later. You know, she just, like, told her, uh, her son, like, Harry, like, oh, your father was a war hero. But it turns out that Robert actually died in a train accident in Minnesota in 1873. And, like, they said, oh, like, oh, your husband's dead. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, he just died recently? Yeah. Could you imagine that that news? <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he must be confused. He's been dead since the war. Yeah, he died in the fields of Gettysburg. No, he he died on Amtrak last week. Yeah, last week he was uh he was a home a hobo. Hobo. I was gonna say something else. Home to bow. Yeah. <laughs> so Harry's mom, Lois, uh was a single mom in a time when it was very hard for women to do anything, really. <laughs> um but lucky for her, uh she would not have three mounts to feed. Because both of Harry's brothers died young, leaving Harry as an only child. As luck would have it. As luck would have it. Just one child to feed. <laughs> um, well, so I got Lois... three kids worth of food. You got to yeah. eat all this? <laughs> right? She went to the Costco run. She's bought shit in bulk. It's like, well, now we can stretch this out a little longer. I'm just used to buying the bigger packs of hot dogs. <laughs> Uh, Harry was a big fan of hot dogs. He just used to suck a dog down, so, you know, you buy, buy more for him. That, yeah, of course. So Lois moved her and Harry to Jackson, Michigan, and she worked as a primary school teacher. 
Uh, had a pretty successful career for a woman back in the day. Um, I think she became the principal or something like that. But Harry left school when he was 14 years old. And, you know, um, this is the 1870s. And he had the whole life ahead of him. And he landed a sweet first job at, at a bank as a junior bookkeeper. Okay. Now, imagine imagine going into a bank and having a 14-year-old, like, dealing with a 14-year-old. I just, I thought that was so funny. He's 14 and he's working at a bank. Yeah. That's a <laughs> lot of pressure to put on kids. I mean, it's just math, really. That's yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. Why not? Uh, Harry tried to get into Annapolis Naval Academy, but failed out because he was a dirty four eyes. Um, he It also was said that he was a short man. Um, so a lot of times people are like, oh, he was too short to get in. But he was like 5'8". Um, short. Which, That's embarrassing for a man to be that short. Well, he was so embarrassed that uh, like throughout his life he used to wear pumps. So he'd add an extra inch. He'd add, add an extra inch on. Uh, I mean, like men that are under five eight, you know, the suicide rate is like a hundred percent. Oh yeah, it's 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 a scary world for them. So you got to fix it with your shoes. I get it. Yeah, you have to. There's actually a special internet filter that you have to put on when you're under that size, so you don't kill yourself when you go online. Yeah, yeah, uh, you'd be embarrassed. Yeah. So Harry moved around a little bit. He worked here and there. He's working for an insurance company in Grand Rapids. He's bookkeeping. He also picked up a love for playing poker. He was a very big gambling man. <clears throat> but in eighteen six or in eighteen seventy six, uh, while working at a grocery store, um, some of his past business connections uh, got him through with an introduction to a man named Marshall Fields in Chicago. Now, Fields was the senior partner of the Fields Lighter and Fields Lighter and Company, which was Chi Town's biggest, most successful store at the time. Cool. Fur coats, right? It's all oh, yeah, just fur were, coats. Yeah, lots of fur coats, like guns, uh like old furniture. Like they even though it was new furniture, it just looked old instantly. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, it's it's like the as is section at an IKEA, but the whole store <laughs> is that. Yeah, it went really well. The interview with Mister Fields and uh, he brought him on. Now, uh, Fields, this was like a big deal because Fields was like a multi-billionaire. You know, like this was like this was like meeting like a, a Jeff Bezos or you know a little michael j fox does he have a lot of money i don't know he's probably <laughs> not i good good question actually um he's so got he he's got to own a home right yeah he's definitely owns a home um he might have one of those like the floors that move around with him yeah you know how they make those spoons that like stabilize the parkinsons <laughs> maybe they just make whole houses like that so he's yeah. just constantly on point um. Yes. <laughs> the mechanics of that have got to be just, or just maybe all the furniture. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Selfridge quickly climbed the ladder within this department store, and this this began his lifelong transformative career in depart in the department store industry. So he's climbing the ladder. Um, although he said that he never worked the floor, he probably did. 
Um, but he quickly became Marshall Fields' unofficial marketer slash copywriter for all the ads and signs and all that shit. What year is this now? This is like 1890-ish? This is uh, 1876. All right. Yeah. I mean, he's work- this is like the 1880s that he's working his way up. So like 1880s, you can imagine the amount of um, the verbiage used. On those advertisements. <laughs> come like, one, come all, ladies and gentlemen. He was actually a big f- Selfridge was a huge fan. When he was a kid, he read a biography about P.T. Barnum. So he's a big showman. Right. Um, it's, he, liked, he liked that. It's like the quiet, um, like, carnival barker. Those are the yeah. words they use. Like, all the same stuff is just written down. And also, if you remember, this is the same time period as the Calamity Jane expositions. Mm-hmm. Um, that were hitting the newspapers, and which we discovered calamity was just a word they used all time. So it's probably like, yeah, we're having calamity sales days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fur at a calamity price. Absolute calamitous prices down here. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, sorry. Now, Harry Please. Selfridge evolved the department store experience as we know it today, but he did not start department stores, obviously, because, you know, he's working for this uh, Marshall Fields guy. The first department store is often credited to a place called Aubon Marsh, which was founded in 1838 in Paris. Although this department store was kind of like an anomaly. There's not many other stores like Aubon Marsh that popped up in Europe. It was just kind of like just that one. Okay. Um, in America, the department store, the first department store was often accredited to Alexander Stewart's Marble Palace, which was in New York City and established in 1846. Now, the Marble Palace actually was the premier place where Mary Todd Lincoln, who was a known shopaholic, would go shop. And she actually racked up about a modern day equivalent to half a million dollars worth of credit at the Marble Palace. (laughs) Every time Mary Todd Lincoln comes up, I get mad. I just, she's awful. Awful. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there were those going on. Like I like I said, like this guy didn't invent the department store. Um and and the obviously the Marshall Field Company, the one he's working for, that uh was established in eighteen fifty two in Chicago. Um but um the thing about these new stores popping up in America was that it used to just be like the good old dry goods store, right? You know, you'd walk into a store, there'd be like bags of jerky and shit, and like moose traps, and like that was but, like your de- department's like ammo <laughs> laying out on the floor. Well, clerks used to do everything for you. The idea of picking up a product and bringing it to the counter is like that's a new idea. Well, yeah. Th- well, this was this was kind of the these department stores were kind of the new thing. Like, because before that, again, it was these dry goods stores where it was like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, but the dry goods stores, like on top of not having like the floor space for the customers, it was like there was a clerk right. who got everything for you. Um, so there was no browsing. Yeah, there wasn't any browsing. It was basically like if you walked into. Like your local supermarket, and there's a place like I never, I never buy shit from this area because I always think it's disgusting. Where they have all the nuts and like loose shit, where you just like pull, yeah, the like handle and put it in a bag, dude. It's like if they had that, but there was a guy that just like put it in the bag for you. 
Yeah, I mean, they just hired a, a, a guy who whose rent was four dollars a month to <laughs> yeah. just do that, and it's fine, right? Now, Selfridge thought that his boss, Marshall Fields, was a bit old-fashioned when it came to customer experience. On a trip to New York in 1884, Harry went to Macy's, Lord and Taylor, and the Bloomingdale Brothers shop and noticed, like, the grandiose style with, like, uniformed greeters, like, the overall experience that, like, these places were giving. It was like... You weren't really going into the store to necessarily buy. Like you could browse, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Fields was still Marshall Fields and Company was still a little bit old school. Remember, it was out in Chicago. It's not like an urban. I mean, it was urban, but not like New York or you know these places. I, I, I guess like the equivalencies of this isn't a library was tossed around a lot. Right. Well, that will be an even bigger. Uh, thing when we go to London because uh, that was how they operated there. It's kind of funny. Excellent. Um, so when Selfridge came back to Chicago with this, he had this attitude of all you have to do is get people in the door and wow them. The sales are second, right? Like just get them in. Yeah. They can walk around and maybe they'll buy something. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll find something that they'll come back for next week. Yeah, at least get the the gears a turning. Yeah. So Harry was also known as within the store, known as a minute a mile a mile a minute Harry, uh, because he was just constantly pitching shit. He was like moving around all fucking coked up, probably doing actual coke because it was legal back then. It's awesome. It's like ah, oh, I love these Coca Colas. They have extra nutrients of vitamin cocaine in them. I could use that all the time. Yeah. So first off, Harry's like, our, our employees are going to be uniformed because, like, I saw that. That was nice, having uniformed people show me around the store. Second, they're going to call their cu- our customers ma'am and sir. There would be no hustling for sales, no eating, no spitting, and no chewing tobacco on the, uh, the floor of the store. Can't that last one's cruel. Dip. That's cruel yeah, right? to take away from these poor... Addicts. I mean, I think it would add to my customer experience when I went to GameStop and I'm like, "Can I get a PS5, please?" And the guy just like spittoons a fucking shit of chewing tobacco scum into a old spittoon. What's not to love? Yeah, I'll be back again tomorrow, sir, for more of your fine games and yeah. perhaps balls energy drink. <laughs> So the store, Marshall Fields, had recently been equipped with electric lighting. Um, remember, electricity is kind of coming in now. And Harry was like, you know what? It's going to cost money, but we're going to leave those lights on uh, in the front windows so we can set up all these fancy little displays. And this was the first uh, kind of instant of window shopping. He oh. kind of invented that with, like, these cool little displays and people could, like, see shit. And but, oh. <laughs> Window designers, man. That was, a, that was a big gig. It still is a big gig. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think a lot of people get that job because it's easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you only need anyone... like three people to do it worldwide. I feel like anybody uh, that has, besides maybe like graphic designers, anyone that has the name designer in their title has an easy job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and if you are a designer, you know it's true. Yeah. And good for you. Good yeah. for you for getting that job. Exactly. 
Um, so Harry also implemented the bargain basement, where he converted the basement into a discount sales um, spot for items that weren't selling or were going out of fashion. He's like, go into the dingy basement. There's tons of rats. There's Chicago right on the canals. Fight those rats. Get the best deals you can from them rats. Just make sure you pay the rats before you leave. That that's cruel. I mean, was was rats a, a, a racial slur that he was using? <laughs> no, these are actual like splinter from Ninja Turtle rats. Okay, right. they got radioactive chewing tobacco spat on them, and they morphed into an Asian human-sized rat. Perfectly sensible uh, staffing, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Another thing he added was the afternoon tea room. So, given that this was the 1880s, it was very unusual or oftentimes outright banned for a woman to eat in a restaurant or a bar alone. Like, you just couldn't, like, go get a snack at a restaurant, like cheese and crackers. So, he opened this tea room, and it was one of the only places in Chicago that women could freely congregate, thus bringing in more women, thus selling more dresses, and thus feeding and paying for the rents of the giant rats that lived in the bargain basement. That's genius. Yeah. I mean, if you want to sell to people, sell to unempowered people. That should be yeah. your number one target all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I like this guy so far. I don't really see a problem with this. So he he's he's he is a capitalist. I like you know how I feel I, about that. You have mixed feelings because uh, you're, I don't know, your umbilical cord never got like fully severed. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I just, just imagine working for this guy though. Like that's the thing is I'm going to bring this up here. Like um, all these things are really smart that I'm mentioning. Right. And like, so I was kind of like reading between the lines of this biography I read, which was called. Uh, Shopping, Seduction, and Mr. Selfridge by uh, Linda Woodhead, which was honestly a really good read. I liked it. But, like, again, like, just, like, reading between the lines of this book, I'm like, I can imagine this guy as being the most annoying, micromanaging, brown-nosing middle manager. You know? Well, okay, fair enough. But with that being said, I, I will not disagree with any of that. I don't know enough. But I will say, generally, I do not want to meet or work for any of my heroes, per se. That's true. You know, I need them to flourish, and I need to watch from a distance and reap the benefits and never be under their control. You wouldn't want to work with Johnny Sins? Um, well, he's not a hero. I, I view him as a peer. <laughs> All right, so. would Mike want to work with <laughs> He's a peer? <laughs> yeah, he's a peer. So, Seems like a nice guy. Yeah. So we will see this, like, micromanaging and brown-housing and shit ratcheting up to 11 once he gets his own store. But keep that in mind. It's kind of what I was reading. You know, I'm very good at reading between the lines. Like, what is this? I can see different things that aren't even there. There's words that appear. Excellent. This is going to go well, this episode. So in 1888, uh, Harry took a business trip to Europe for the first time. Um, Marshall Field had buying offices in Germany, England, and France, so he'd set up these little, like, outposts to find the latest fashions and acquire shit from Europe. So, uh, Harry made sure to stop at that Aubameau Marsh that I talked about in Paris. He was like, that is really cool. And went 
Harry returned from this trip, he started to beg Mr. Fields to open up departments of his store in New York, London, and Paris. And Fields was pretty much set for life, like, doing his thing in Chicago. So he's like, no, I'm not about to, like, drop a whole bunch of money, like, set up with all this competition. Especially in Paris and New York, there was a lot of competition, not so much in London. Mm -hmm. But, I mean... Why would he? I mean, the Mr. Fields at this point was like, I think in his sixties or something like that. He's like, I don't want to expand. I'm a billionaire. I'm set. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> um, but he's like, how about this? Because you know, once you put something in Selfridge's mind, he just like went at it and he like obsessed over it. He's like, how about this? I'm going to make you a partner in the company, and I will personally pay your buy-in of two hundred thousand dollars. To get into the company, it was a lot of money in 1880s money. It's like you know, almost a million bucks or more. Okay. <laughs> so Selfridge's like, hell yeah! Like I am part of the company now. Like you know, a partner. He's making the equivalent of half a million dollars a year salary, and he was like, it's time to wife up, dude. I'm like in my 30s now, and I still haven't married. I've been shopping and doing everything for women. But not yeah. finding a woman. This is yes. this is a great setup for a rom com. <laughs> yeah, think about it. <laughs> Selfridges finds love in all of the wrong aisles. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, he was going down some different aisles uh, because we don't know too much about his personal life. He's thirty four at the time that he partners up. We don't know too much about his personal life. It's a bit of a mystery. Um, he had lived with his mother, Lois, in Chicago, because, like, again, it was just, like, the two of them. He lived with his mom his whole life. You know, probably had her own room, you know. Um, <laughs> what I'm a assuming, Probably. She slept on the couch. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do know that there was a very famous whorehouse that was right across the street from Marshall Fields & Co. that used to service a lot of the upper-class men that would go let their wife while their wives were shopping. Who and needs a wife? Who yeah. Needs, if you, that's where you're living, and, and you have someone to make a toast for you, who mm -hmm. cares? Yeah, so we know that Harry was uh, at least visited the, this place on, on one occasion confirmed, but he was probably getting his little weenie and his toes sucked, like a little sucking on the t b tiny toe of his right foot. That's was his kink. You know, I do shopping for a living. What do you do for a living? <laughs> Shop Oh, dicks. that's 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 nice. Would you like to tug on my peenie while I tell you where I'm buying fur coats from? <laughs> yeah. So then, out of the blue, in 1890, Harry marries uh, R Rosalie Buckingham. So Rosalie came. Well, she she just she went by uh, Rosie. So I'm just gonna call her Rosie. Rosie came from a well-off family in Chicago. This family owned a substantial part of the city. And when the two of them got married, they gifted the newlyweds an estate in Lake Geneva, which was about 90 miles away from um, Chicago. It's nice. So Rosie lived at this new estate full-time, overseeing construction uh, for this new Tudor-style house, while Harry Selfridge stayed in Chicago working at the department store. 
perfect. You know, keep your wife out of the picture. And actually, I didn't really talk about it too much in the script, but Rosie was actually pretty predominant in like real estate. She she was like one of the first people, especially once the story goes to London, she was like wheeling and dealing. It's not that hard when you have capital. Mm-hmm. Like people talk about real estate accomplishments and then it's like if you're not putting your shit on the line ever. Yeah. It's fucking easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the two of them did blast out five children. Unfortunately, the first one was a dud and died shortly after it was popped out. Dud, um, yeah. Yeah, Dudley. A, little, ooh, a little Dudley, Dudley Selfridge. <laughs> no, I think they had the. I think they named him Chandler, which you're just asking to die underneath one years old when your name yeah, is Chandler. Right? Yeah, this kid has no future. Yeah, just stomp it out. Yeah. Uh, so th- those the kids were Rosalie, Violet, uh, Gordon Jr., and Beatrice. Um, they will tie back into the story later, but for now, just remember he has kids. Um, Selfridge was always the ladies' man. Now, by that I mean, uh, oh, just like that. So that's my pickup line. I usually walk up to someone, I just belch right in their just ear from behind, belch in their face, and throw yeah. them to the ground. <laughs> yeah. That's what romance is. <laughs> it's real romance. Real romance. So Selfridge was a ladies' man, and by that I mean he did this like weird type of sugar daddy cheating. Like, yes, he fucked his side chicks, but he mainly just spent loads and loads of money on them, like charming them, doting over them, almost to the point of, like, humiliation. Like, these chicks were usually bratty to him. Like, he'd buy them, like, you know, really expensive diamonds. They'd be like, oh, this one's not very good. Like, you know what I'm talking about? It wasn't even, like, yeah, I'm sure he did have sex with these women, but it wasn't even so much for the sex. It was for, like, the... It's like the like control just, kind of thing. Like, uh, yeah. look, what I, look what I can do for you uh-huh. kind of mentality, I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it was very weird. So this is a common trend throughout his entire life. We're going to touch on a few of these women. Well, the first affair, first affair was a showgirl that was in town during the 1900 World's Fair by the name of Isadora Duncan. Who was We've also heard that pa- name before. I don't know. Have we? All right, continue. I'm going to look it up real quick, but you continue. So her stage name was called the California Fawn. <laughs> um, oh, hot. Yeah. Like a little, a little Bambi deer, baby. little Bambi bitch. Mm. Now, uh, not so much is known about this affair besides Selfridge uh, did some hard simping, probably some boning. Uh, but based on his later affairs, he probably spent way too much money on this chick. Um, but that was kind of the start of this um, his long career as a simp sugar daddy. <clears throat> okay. I know Isadora Duncan. Where is she Do from? You... Well, I, I think she's from Paris. Did you happen to look into how she died? No. Okay, great story. Um, she was driving one afternoon in a convertible, and somehow a, a scarf got caught on something that she was wearing, and I think it strangled her to death, or like oh. popped her head off or something. Oh, shit. Uh, hold on here. On September 14th, 1927, uh, tangled in Nice, France, when an enormous silk scarf, 
scarf she was wearing gets tangled in the rear hubcaps of her open car. Oh! So- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she was a well-known dancer, though. I think Gab brought her up or something. I don't know, Gab likes to talk about dance all the time. I try to be a good husband, I suppose. <laughs> Tom, uh, but I, yeah, that one was funny. That's pretty awesome. That would make a great like metal album. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, your scarf's too big. <laughs> yeah. Pop your head off. That will not be the only uh, hot chick that he boned that has car accidents so we'll get into that all right that a record that was that was a bit of a, a <laughs> no a, i love that history. fact yeah yeah <laughs> so in 1903 selfridge trans had transformed the marshall field company um and actually you know the marshall field company existed up until i think 2005 when macy's acquired it um weird yeah it's very strange so it was it was like a staple of america so he had transformed the whole store he pushed the revenue up to nearly $17 million a year, which is about half a billion dollars a year. Um, Selfridge went to Marshall, and he's like, yo, I did all this. Now, you got to change the store's name to Marshall Field and Selfridge. And Marshall's like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. He's getting greedy, man. Yeah, so he's like, and so uh, Selfridge was like, if you're not going to do that, I quit. So after 25 years at Marshall Field & Co., at the age of 47, Harry Selfridge retired with a big fat payout of company shares. I mean, he could have just retired, but I have a feeling we have more story here. Oh, yes, we do. We got a whole other chapter of this man's life. Wow. Okay, so Selfridge did what most people do, rich people do, when they retire. They make some really stupid investments and spend a lot of money on garbage. I mean, <sighs> um, some of them do this. Rich, well, uh, the, you, uh, famous people do that. Yeah. People who make their fortune through fame do that a lot. Well, I mean, if you think about the 1890s, there's not many famous people. So he's, I guess, a famous person. <laughs> I guess so. Mr. Ridges, also, they called him. Also, they had this um, this philosophy that you see with a lot of robber barons and like shit like that, like the Carnegies and Vanderbilts, where like they got success through excessive spending. It was like something that like you spent a lot of money, which also made you good at business. It was right. like a philosophy that that this guy Selfridge lived through, and towards the end of his career, you'll see that like that wasn't a thing anymore. <laughs> Uh, rough you know so uh, he was actually invited to invest in the white rock soda company pretty shitty soda um he turned that one down actually because he thought soda making was too close to whiskey distilling oh is he a teetotaler no he's not a teetotaler but he doesn't like being associated with uh you know um he actually got on board with the cocktail craze when that came out in the 20s so, uh, but he's like, I don't yeah. want to be associated with whiskey distilling. You making soda pops? Ew, low lives. What an idiot. Then he invested in a gold mining company. Now, keep in mind, this is long after the gold rush. So that just turned out to be a wash. Um, and he did all that while spending tons of money on family trips to the French Riviera and Europe and probably some unmentioned side pieces that he's sugar daddying for. 
Sometimes they're just one-offs. Sometimes, yeah. Um, Harry's mentor, Marshall Fields, died in 1906 at the age of 71 after catching a cold going golfing during the winter. So apparently that was a thing. They would go golfing during the winter. In, and in this case, the, the snow was knee-deep, and they used a red ball. Like a special red winterized golf ball, and they're like going golfing in this knee deep snow. I I want Isadora Duncan's scarf to also have killed him <laughs> right as he was dying from the cold, just so it hurt yeah. more. We have to be businessmen, go golfing even in the winter time. How about we play pool instead? Said nobody. <laughs> How about we play pool in the sand? How about you come over? Um, I'll have my butler throw some logs on the fire, and we'll play darts and drink hard brown liquor. <laughs> no, no, we have to go golfing in the snow. So with his mentor dead in 1906, Selfridge is 50 years old. He's blowing through his retirement fund, and he was always a manager, right? He was like one of those things, I always need to manage people, which is like kind of what he is, like, you would not want to go to dinner with this guy because he would order the entire table. And be like, he's having clams a la carte. And this boy is going to have a shrimp salad. He reminds me of that terrible comedian uh, in Z's Ansari when he got uh, <laughs> Me Too'd. And we just found he out that he, he... Well, yeah, but it was it was the worst attempting of a Me Too ever. It was rather embarrassing for the person who came. He basically ordered for the woman... And uh, then she oh. continued to sleep with him willingly and then regretted it after five or six times <laughs> and then uh, wrote a piece for Vanity Fair. And uh, I would say that's when the movement really started going downhill. And that was like day three. <laughs> so it's unfortunate yeah, when be- people have to make it about them and ruin a nice yeah. cause. So, yeah, he would he did that to probably women all the time. She will have the Impossible Burger because she's trying to watch her figures. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> uh, let me see how fat you are. Uh, you're looking fatter than last week, so no eggs for you. Uh, he'll have oatmeal for dinner. <laughs> uh, so uh, Selfridge was like, fuck it. I'm going to start my own department store. Not going to do it in Chicago. There's already too much competition. New York, too much competition. I'm going to go to jolly old London. All right. So he picked up his family and he moved to London. Now, keep in mind, this is the early 20th century. So London is still the economic capital of the world, right? This is pre-wars after like America came in. We're like, America got big dick of money. Now New York is the best. Right. Um, America was thriving um, on a more micro level at this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even though London was the economic capital of the world, its retail stores pretty much stuck to the way they had been operating for hundreds of years. So if you remember the episode we did on Bo Brummel, right, when we talked about how there was a store for every single thing. Like, you go to the belt guy, and he'd make you a belt. And then you go to the waist coast guy, he'd make you the waistcoat. Right. You know? it, like that everything truly was... is the way God intended it, by the well, way. Well, yeah, because then you get quality products. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. um, now, browsing and window shopping were discouraged in London to the point where, when, where shop owners would actually hire a dude that would follow you around the store and be like, Oi! 
you buying something? And he'd be like, no. He'd be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> you know? It's great. Yeah. So Selfridge was about to shake things up um, where, you know, he wanted to open up a place where browsing was encouraged, much like Marshall Fields. And he called it a temple for retail. Now, Selfridge, as I mentioned, was a showman first and a retailer second. And then way down the line, he's a businessman, right? Like He's not really a businessman. He's just a showman and a retailer. Okay. Not good with um, books. No. Um, so he decided on a place for his, this uh, temple of retail, which was on Oxford Street, which was already like a consumer hub, but he picked kind of a further down the road on Oxford Street, a little bit more removed, so he could buy um, six acres of real estate in the heart of London. I mean, wow. that's a lot. Yeah. That's um, huge. The place actually cost 400,000 pounds um, around the turn of the century. And this buy pissed off the locals already because it knocked down a famous Red Lion pub, which had been standing for hundreds of years, and he's like, no, we're building this fine architecture. I mean, how is the architecture in hindsight? Um, it's an interesting building. So this was actually was the first building in London, or actually first building in England, to have steel beam construction. Okay. Um, so that meant that um, the walls were no longer load-bearing, so all of the floors could be open and spacious, right? Like when you go to a mall or whatever, or Macy's, everything's open. You can move from one space to another. Hmm. If Without steel beams, everything needs to rely on the walls, so things have to be more closed off. Right. Um, the front windows of the store were actually the largest sheets of glass in the world. So remember, he knew the power of uh, window shopping. Right. Um, all in all, this building took two years to construct, and Harry actually petitioned the London Council to change the tube station from Bond Street to Selfridges. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. You're an idiot. <laughs> we didn't want you to build this thing. Yeah, it's too soon of an ask. You know, you can yeah. wait five years and then do that. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. So the store launched with a huge advertising campaign, the largest, most expensive ad campaign in history up until this point. Newspapers, magazines like Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, uh, the Daily Mail, all the London newspapers, um, carriages, tube stations, all had Selfridges slapped on them. Awesome. And uh, with all this fanfare, it actually paid off um, because on opening day, 90,000 people went into Selfridges. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, quite a feat there. Now, this wasn't just a store. It was an experience, right? So it was complete with a library. It had like a reading room. You could just go into the library, read for a little bit. It had Otis elevators and escalators, which were pretty breaky, you know, groundbreaking at the time. A restaurant. What's, what is that? What is? I mean, I'm sorry if we're... I'm tangenting too much. What's an Otis elevator? So Otis is one of the earliest elevator companies. Actually, my building, the first one, my building has an Otis elevator in it. Like, you know, the the ones that have the... Um, the grates that come up like with the, the accordion grates? grates? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Is um, that like a uh, trademark from them? What's that? Is that like a trademarked thing that they did, the accordion grate? Well, they were, again, they were, like, just the first, the first elevators. Oh, gotcha. So 
it's very scary when you take my elevator up to the fifth floor because it was literally built in 1909 or something. Mm, that's good. <laughs> so, that's good. Yeah. Um, so on top of these elevators, they had a, a restaurant with a band that was constantly playing so people could start dancing if they wanted to. It had a rooftop garden slash rifle range. So you can go up there, buy a gun, shoot fucking your gun on the range. Sick. I had a concierge information room where you could literally ask. It was like a Wikipedia. You could ask somebody any question, like even as simple as like, where is Lord Dukington going to be tonight? And like somebody would like figure it out, like call people be like, oh, Dukington boy is going to be at at the local shindig pub. (laughs) Would you pay for that information or was it more of like a... uh I'm pretty sure that was just, I'm pretty sure you could just go in there because that was like part of the draw of getting people into the store. Wow. I really like this guy. I really like shopping now. Yeah. Customers could not only just buy clothes, they could book tickets to shows, to cruise liners across the Atlantic. There were salons, hairstylists, you could buy furniture. Um, Every desk was equipped with like, uh, every checkout counter was equipped with a telephone, which was again new tech um and in the coming years uh the building like within the next 10 years the building would be equipped with the first electronic newsreel so you know those like ticker tape things that you see that usually has like the stock market and shit yeah running on there it had one of those they put an ice rink on the roof and people could eventually buy cars planes and yachts at selfridges (laughs) damn man this is Neat, actually. It is, it is pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Wow, I miss the the malls now. The I know, right? Places. Yeah. Now I want to. I'm gonna stay home though because Bezos told me to. But I'll say it out loud. I miss the other stuff. So speaking of Bezos, um, there was almost like a proto Amazon service going on here because obviously a lot of these people, some of them probably had cars at this point. They were just coming out. But sure. you, you most most people would just walk to this place or have dr- be driven. So the store was equipped with a fleet of drivers and uh, deliverers that would you'd basically walk into the store, make like a checklist of what you wanted, like get fitted, and then they would either tailor it or just like put bundle it all together and then deliver it to your house. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't see wh- how this uh, could go wrong. <sighs> all right, so. You could you you might be able you know okay we're gonna dive a little bit more into Selfridge Selfridge himself right so this is why I think he's just like would be a nightmare to work for um, now it's pretty amazing what he did but um, let's talk about him so I I think he was a complete micromanager his employees called him simply the chief right and every morning he would get dressed in a morning suit when like morning suits are like uh, like what you think of that has like the tails and shit in the back, like a conductor, like uh, like you'd see at like a really formal wedding, right? With like it has a top a, it hat, has coat tails. Yeah, that's yeah. A, a morning suit has coat tails on it, like Groucho Marx. Yeah, for whatever reason, that's called a morning suit. That is odd. Uh, so he'd dress up in this morning suit, complete with a top hat, um, and he would spend the. F- the hour before the store opened, walking around the store, inspecting the employees and their stations, if he found any dust on any of the surfaces during his walk, he would simply initial HGS on it, 
And if it was still there later in the day, somebody probably got fired. Like, he wouldn't tell anyone. He'd just write HGS on in the dust and then fire right. you. I would do that, too. I like that model. Um, Selfridge would never rage publicly. What he would do was he'd see something, not say anything. Then the employee would receive a yellow slip calling them to his office where he would explode on them. Sports. Yeah. It's, uh, you got carded, son. Yeah, he got carded. Mm. So Selfridge, after he made this morning hour-long routine inspecting all of his employees, he would stand in front of the main clock of Selfridge's and do breathing exercises. He'd sit there and... With the and top when... hat on still? Yeah, yeah with Great. the top hat on. And when the clock chimed 9 a.m., there was a fanfare of actual trumpet players that signaled that the store was open. <laughs> um. Awesome. <laughs> wow. I don't now, wake up till like 9.30, so yeah, I would never see it, but wow. Do you do your breathing exercises in your morning suit? <sighs> I have to. Yeah. I ha I, my morning suit, uh, it doesn't have coattails. I'm just naked. <laughs> Um, my apartment's so my, very hot. Yeah. My sources explain a lot about how these employees were, like, really proud to work at Selfridges, right? Like, and I feel like that's something that maybe England lost. Because I remember when when um, James came over. Our buddy James, he was on one of our shows at some point. But, like, he was like, why does this restaurant have, like, proudly serving Coca-Cola on it? You know what I mean? Like... There's no real pride in retail. Like, who the fuck cares? Yeah, no, you won't actually find that in the personalities, but you see that word all the time. Right. Like, no, no one gives a shit. Like, anyone who, anyone who actually has any stock in the Coke versus Pepsi game, they're fucking retarded. Uh, yeah. So to you're just catering to that person. Like, and right. there's not even that many who honestly care. So. Uh, right. But you will see that in other instances too. Yeah, proudly doing this. We're, we're right. proudly open. Uh, we're proudly open on New Year's Eve um, so, till one thirty in the morning. Yeah. Uh, our Taco Bell here. So, so, uh, so these these employees are often described as being proud to work there. Now, I think the idea is that, like, the idea of getting exploited for a lower rate wage uh, than competitors in London, being micromanaged by a boss. Uh, was just new, something that was new and fresh at the time. People were excited to be exploited <laughs> and treated like shit, you know? Yeah, um, <laughs> you work, it's like the people who do anything to work at Disney. Oh, or in yeah. the music industry. I've actually experienced that myself. The amount of, like, pride you get instilled by anyone you're working for. That's all bullshit while they rip right. you off. Right. Um, Selfridge did offer some perks to the employees. Like, there was a in... Um, in-store dentist that would fix the worker's teeth but that really wasn't for the employee it was more of selfridge like didn't want fucking people with rotten teeth trying to sell i don't know the latest toothbrush to and, and, and i mean like come on there's the english layup right there the alley yeah, right get your yeah. shit together england you weird buck tooth <laughs> strange uh chaps um so while I feel that these biographies and historians really glorified working at Selfridge, there's an actual interview that I found from 2013 of this guy. He's 102 years old, and he worked at Selfridge with Harry Selfridge himself. 
Awesome. And I wanted you to listen just this quick little clip of him describing whether or not he was proud, and we'll play it for you as well, whether or not he was proud to work at Selfridge. Um, okay. Copy that. Were you proud to work at Selfridges? It was a job, you know. I think with my father being 102, he's probably... Well, it's a job, isn't it? Yeah, it's a job, isn't it? He's like, I don't know, he fucking worked at his goddamn store. Like, who the fuck cares? Yeah, he didn't seem that thrilled, to be honest. No, no. It's just like, I feel like because it's old, people are like, oh, they were so fucking proud. He's like, I don't know, I sold... And in that whole interview, he talks about how he used to sell, like, tweeds and fabrics for suits. And he's like, I don't know, I, this is what I did before I went to the war or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I get, it must be a little infuriating. Like, oh, yeah, we want to interview you for being 102. Oh, yeah, there's so much in my life to tell about. Yeah, we just want to ask about where you used to work. Um, it was a Macy's-like building <laughs> where you used to uh, play a trumpet at people. <laughs> He's like, hey, that was what I did back then. All right, thanks. Go die now. <laughs> like, really? Really? Don't yeah. interview people who are 102 about a job <laughs> they, they didn't know. care about. <laughs> they don't know where they are anymore anyway. Yeah. It doesn't have any more time left, and you're wasting it. Asking him about a job he hated. And he's being yeah. nice. He's yeah. so English. Old time yeah. English. He's gonna be polite. Yeah. If he was like if he was seventies English, he'd probably be like, Oh, fuck that place. Yeah. Um, so Selfridge also employed a bunch of women. He was very progressive. Um, unfortunately, in the beginning, most of them worked in the sweatshops on the top floor, stitching together custom suits. And dresses. It's a culture thing, all right? Yeah. But eventually, he exp expanded his exploitation of his workers to the retail floor. So he had this famous group of women that operated the said Otis elevators as bellhops. They were always really hot and smoking. Like, Come on in the middle of the elevator. Step oh, inside of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let me all close right. this gate. <laughs> So smooth, the finest in technology. It's gonna <laughs> fall down, and I'm erect. <laughs> and obviously, in the upcoming wars, uh, World War One and World War Two, suffrage would be forced to use women in more customer-facing roles because all the men were all fighting them Germans. Yeah, all the men were doing work. So as I mentioned, uh, Selfridge's store was more of a spectacle than a retailer, right? Harry constantly decorated it for every coronation, jubilee, attracting all sorts of royalty and people in high places. People like Winston Churchill and his mother, um, Oscar Wilde, Tallulah Bankhead, um, uh, Greta Garbo, all these people would come into Selfridge's and the very famous Charlie Chaplin shop there. Um, people we've roasted. Yeah, sounds good. So, Harry was also, in, in very a Bezos, uh, Elon manner, Harry was big into aviation, which was cutting edge at the time. So in 1909, a guy by the name of Louis Biltrot uh, became the first, place in, first person to fly across the English Channel. And Selfridge uh, struck a deal with him to display his plane in Selfridges. Uh, now, this move attracted nearly 100,000 people to see this flying machine. 
It's crazy too because that's something you can technically swim. So like yeah, in modern context, that's not that is your that's practice. Yeah, for an right. actual flight. But this is world news, right? This guy flying across the channel. It, it's just a context oddity, if you mm -hmm. would. Harry was actually the first person ever to charter a commercial flight when he flew from London to Dublin for a business meeting. And he said that flight was the way businessmen would conduct business in the future. And he was absolutely right. Mm. Good idea. Another invention that Harry showed off in his store was the television. So in 1925, Scottish inventor John Bard was having trouble showing off his new invention um, called the television, which at the time it didn't really show pictures as much as it showed like silhouettes of like spooky ghost people on yeah. this like tiny little screen. It's not a real television. The, the yeah. little, That was a Farnsworth who did an actual television. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, but the, he was... This guy, John Bard, was like, he was the first person to like actually make things move on a screen like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it? Like, what is it? <laughs> you're just staring at a light bulb. <laughs> well, with, Harry. With some flies and moths in front of it and then a projected. <laughs> it's not technology well, even, really. Well, Harry was impressed by these moths in the light bulb. <laughs> and we could see the sports game from here. Yeah, <laughs> he paid this guy three three thousand pounds to ex to exhibit his new machine to the masses. Harry pushed televisions really hard as a way new way to advertise. And as the technology evolved, the BBC would actually started broadcasting TV as early as as the late nineteen thirties, which I didn't know. And then the war happened, and they stopped their signals because the war was going on. Yeah. Everyone had to sell their TVs. Yeah, I'm just I just made that up. I don't to know. kill Nazis. Yeah, they turn the TVs into tiny bullets. Yeah, that's what it is. So another interesting advancement that happened at Selfridges was um, so for the first few de decades of the 20th century, you know, when you think of a department store or um, a mall, a lot of times you think about fashion, right? You think about makeup, but cosmetics, uh, things like lipstick or blush was often seen as whorish and scandalous. Um, now, Selfridge sold lipstick and blush in the underwear department, but it was hidden behind the counter. So you, like, needed to know someone to, like, get lipstick. You know, you'd be like, oh, you got that little lipstick I could put on it? Hey, excuse me, I'm a whore. And I was wondering <laughs> if you had anything that, like, uh, I could use on my lips to let everyone know that I'm a whore. <laughs> yeah. Got you covered. Welcome to Selfridges. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I just got a trumpet blown in my face as I walked in the door. I'm still a whore, but I can't hear now. I'm a deaf whore. <laughs> deaf whore. But by the 1920s, there was a big explosion of women's makeup. Pretty soon, it was the fashion for a woman to just whip out a compact and start painting her face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Selfridge was actually the first department store to have a dedicated cosmetics department, complete with a stylist that would whore you on up. What a, what a sick religion that is still happening now. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, Harry was absolutely loaded. Him and his family were living in a massive English estate called High Clift 
Highcliff Castle. I mean, it looks like, you know, something out of Downton Abbey or whatever that is. Like, you know, they had servants. and mm. He's basically an American lord, right? Like, he's an American guy. He's pretending to be, like, this lord or duke. He's dressing what? like it. He's talking like it. What is a duke other than a guy who has money? Like, end of day. They separated. They put these partitions in, but it's just money. Yeah, that's true. And, and making sure you have a driveway with pebbles uh, on your lawn. That's every English estate is just like a path of pebbles to a big square building. See, but but Harry, like like the fact that you're saying that, I feel like it makes it more sad. He says like he has all his money. He probably has more money than half the dukes. Probably but he's tr- he can't he can't his prestige needs to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's pride fucking with you. I think that was from uh, the movie um, Stuart uh, Little Spy Kids. Oh, <laughs> same page. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry actually bought himself uh, some property. I don't. I don't. I forgot where that exactly was. I didn't write it down. But he bought this big property where he was going to build himself his own medieval castle. Um, awesome. That he never got around to doing, but there was like this whole big debacle where like it was like a Iron Age British archaeological site, and he, Harry was like, "I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna build my castle here." And like the his, historical society was like, "No, we need to esca- excavate." And like he I mean, he never built this castle, but he wanted to build a giant medieval castle. Awesome. Um, he also wanted to add this like massive tower to. Um, the Selfridge building, and I'm, I'm going to show you how stupid this looks. Um, and the town council shot him down, and they're like, no, this, like, is this supposed to be your dick? Or, like, what, what's going on here? Let me see it. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so, I didn't find the actual picture, but I just, I just thought of that. Selfridge. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's just a dick. This is a big old cock. Yeah. Oh. Why didn't they let him build that? Well, that's that's what the building looks like now. It's just basically the bottom part of that sketch. Yeah. Huh. They should have let it's him like, build that. That would have been cool. Because Big Ben would have had someone to talk to. Wink, wink. <laughs> Big Ben would have had someone to dock on. Yeah, that's important. Um. All right. <clears throat> So on top of these weird construction projects he had, um, with all this money came ex- extravagant, extravagant spending. Like, he bought the original Medici bookkeeping books from, like, the uh, 16th century that he kept in his office. You know, just because, why not? Just big swinging dick. Yeah, um, why not? Selfridge fashioned himself as a retail god. And he published a book called The Romance of Commerce in 1918. Of course, this was ghostwritten because, I mean, there's a man that didn't even graduate regular school. Um, uh, but he, in it, he compares himself to the Medicis, Jacob Fugger, who he roasted, mm-hmm. uh, the East Indian Company. Um, just super self-aggrandizement, right? Like, he's just like everyone. And this is where he penned. The customer is always right in this book. Um, Back to there's also some other, yeah. There's also some other big brain quotes that I just wanted to read off here because I thought they were really stupid. Sure. Um, 
people will sit up and take notice of you if you sit up and take notice of what makes them set, sit up and take notice. <laughs> and then these ones are more like synergy cringy shit, right? Like um, a boss drives men, a leader coaches them. Um, uh, the boss depends on authority, the leader on goodwill. Ooh. A boss says I, a leader says we. Oh, God. I want, right. you know, that's some real gamer word shit. Yeah, this is uh, like, yeah, this is like bad. some corporate ass bullshit, right? You know? Like, here's another one The boss says go, a leader says let's go. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, listening to the show, everyone. I, I think I just died. Uh, why do these people have so much money? I don't know. Why do people who talk like money. this have money? They should be shot in the street. People who <laughs> say things like that. Tom, see, you're changing your tune now. You're like, I like this guy. I like the cut of his jibs. I did like it, and then he opened his mouth. I like what he <laughs> what he was doing. I liked how he was making a carnival of uh, buying furniture. I liked that part of what he was doing. And then as soon as he talks to people, I didn't, I didn't even mind that he was nitpicky. To, towards his uh, his l dirty, dirty employees with their terrible teeth. But as soon as you start talking like this about generals, you're dead. You're dead to me. Someone should murder this guy. He's a witch. He's <laughs> a witch. <laughs> uh. So with all this ego came and, and money came a lot, a lot of these side pieces I talked about. Um, his wife actually died, I think, in 1918, so he's technically a widow widower type of thing, but, like, th these side pieces have always existed. Just now he could just, like, do it in public and have, like, he was always seen with, like, a hot blonde or some, like, showgirl around his arm type yeah, of thing. Yeah, see what happens when you do real estate and you get good at it? You get an early grave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what comes to mind is that really that picture... I keep going back to Bezos, but that pic that new picture of him where he's got whatever that lady on his arm and he looks all like cosmic. Have you seen that? He looks yeah, like all like it, fucking plastic surgeryed out. It's it's really strange what people will do like when they're not told that their ideas are stupid or they when they don't fear someone like Jeff Bezos because yeah. he has no one to fear right now. He's basically a Saudi prince on crack. Um, <laughs> it's true. And, and like, yeah, he's just doing whatever. You can't tell him. Like, no one in his life can tell him. Maybe you should reconsider that seventieth Botox injection this afternoon, <laughs> because your head looks plastic. Yeah. You look like a shift knob. <laughs> he does. It's, it's weird. And that so th that bimbo he's with too is like she she's somewhere between like like the Hulk and Cher. Well, I think he just like birthed her in like a test tube or something, like at the at like a the fulfillment center, right? He just like grew her out of a pipette. Yeah, I I do find her oddly attractive, but I know that if I saw her in person, it would kind of look like like I'm experiencing uncanny valley in in, in the real world. Yeah, it's like Lara Croft from uh, like PlayStation One. Time. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's got to be something like like eerily too symmetrical about people like that. Like, you, yeah. you don't look. You're gonna melt. <laughs> you're gonna Watch melt out for the sun. Oh no, my my uh, girlfriend cannot walk on stage. She will melt. <laughs> <laughs> I paid a lot of money for. Uh, well, I paid a lot of money. 
So I'm not going to yeah, have I paid her a lot of money. I paid a lot of money growing. I mean, I paid a lot of money towards her. Yeah, just <laughs> add her. Get hotter. <laughs> I don't care how. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Harry was always seen with these, like, young showgirls. And he, they always introduced, even though he was, like, a widow now or whatever. Like, you know, he was a free man. Yeah. Um, he always introduced them as a family friend. Uh, oh, my family friend, this nice broad. She's 21 years old. I'm 50, 56. That's a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. I prefer what Jeff <laughs> Bezos is doing. He's just like, look at what I put my cock into. Right. Well, meanwhile, these family friends were probably like, in, you know, having old man's quivering balls inserted into their anus. You know, that type of thing. That's fine. Like, he, they're yeah. not slaves. They can walk away. But money is very alluring to people. Well, you know, the thing is, is... <laughs> It was more like Selfridge was like a slave to them because, like and I mentioned, these are like weird sugar daddy relationships, right? So, like, um, he would just spend and spend on these young women and, like, they'd be so bratty and, like, humiliate him in public. But, like, he was spending millions of, do like, pounds and dollars on these women. Like, crazy amounts of money. That's fun. That's good. <clears throat> Um, and now I'm sure there were many a nights where he just got straight up cucked because these young broads love to party. And it was often said that Selfridge would be at these like, you know, this was the roaring 20s. We're in that, that time period where you know, people raged all night. They're doing blow, they're orgies drinking, and crap, and orgies, is, yeah. shit like that. And like there were a few occasions where they'd see like Selfridge, this like old man with white hair, like sitting at these parties, like, Oh, this is lovely. Like while like his main side piece is getting like railed out, like blowing lines off the table. You know, he's like, Oh, I love this. is a jolly time. Well, this is probably <laughs> pre Rhino 69. Um, so, Oh yeah. It's like, once you're tapped out, you're tapped out. That was the past. Now you can fuck until the last breath. Well, yeah. Well, back then they used the dowel technique. They inserted no a one... piece of okay. balsa wood into the shaft. They yeah, sounded it in. Slowly dissolved afterwards. So only, <laughs> yeah. Like, a, like yeah. stitches. Like your dog's stitches. <laughs> he had the cone on. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm touching. I'm behaving, and I'm shoving the dowel in. It, it hurts. <laughs> but I'll watch and pay lots of money for this. So honestly, there were there's too many broads to go into all of them, but we're gonna talk about the most famous affair, and that was him and the Dolly sisters, plural. Nice. Hey, really nice. Really nice. Really nice. Really nice. That's cool as hell. Also <laughs> nice. Tommy, guess what? You know what makes it even cooler? What? Identical twins, bruh. Wait oh! a second. Are you telling me these two broads came out and they just fell into this guy's lap? Uh, they fell deeply in love with him emotionally. Yes. It was beautiful. That's good. Three He's hearts connected as one. I, I, I... Continue. Just continue. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1921... Harry met the Dolly sisters at the Kit, the Kit Kat Club in London. Uh, the sisters, uh, Jenny and Rosie, were, as I mentioned, identical twins. They were both 28 at the time. Uh, he was, I think, in his 60s or late 50s. Um, 
Originally, they were from Hungary, but they moved to America when they were 14 and quickly got picked up by the Ziegfeld Follies group, which I feel like we've mentioned before. Actually, my great-grandmother was part of the Ziegfeld Follies, and that was like a burlesque traveling group of like hot women that would like dance on stage and like fuck people and it's awesome <laughs> that's just awesome yeah. um so these two girls had been famous for a while now since the turn of the century um and harry met them at this club and then after they met harry dumped like i said millions and i'm not exaggerating millions of pounds on these women he'd often take uh, the uh, the three of them would often take Harry's yacht, the Conqueror, to Monte Carlo to pay, play baccarat. Um, which right. I've it's, never understood how to play baccarat, but no, and I've never actually gone anywhere to play anything. No, you went to the casino with us, didn't you? You were there. I was there to drink. Oh, okay. I was like, I, I, I'm not much of a gambler. Like, I don't really get the appeal. I like drinking and yelling. And that's what I like. I like going to casinos for that reason. And I drinking like, and yelling. Yeah, I'm never on the floor. Like you know, I, I have no problem walking into a casino and going. I'm only spending five hundred dollars on gambling here and losing that in the first twenty minutes. I don't care. Like it was. Yeah. It's already spent. Right. So he's also he also let's mention that he met, names his yacht the Conqueror, which I mean, yeah. Come on. Well, that's th probably what he wanted to name the tower that looked like yeah, a probably. giant penis that <laughs> yeah. some would debate uh, contained a dowel section. <laughs> it was one steel beam construction that <laughs> goes right down the middle. Well, here's the thing. It's all steel beam except right in the center. It's wood. <laughs> it's round wood. Balsa. We go to Home Depot. We ask them for the roundest, longest wood. <laughs> treated semen so th these these girls and him are going to monte carlo they're playing baccarat high roller tables um now the women gambled off of harry's money uh, and anyone else's money they could get their hands of they, what they like to do is they'd like to take off all their jewels and be like i lost it all and then <laughs> like get some guy to buy them more fucking rounds or whatever get them more chips awesome. and then they put all the jewels back on of course what are they gonna do sniff around yeah, uh, uh, you if can't fool me, Missy. I'm blind, and I have my uh, fine material <laughs> sniffing dog on me, and I, he is looking right up if that they, ass. Yeah, if they lost Harry's money, they lost Harry's money. If they won, they kept the winnings. Like they didn't give him back any money. It was just like these are ours now. Of course, they're children going to Disneyland. Yeah. Um. So the talking about jewels, the Dolly sisters were so decked out that. Um, and these were jewels that ha Harry mainly bought for them. Um, that it was said that they had diamond bracelets that would go from their wrists to their elbows. Like that's how many like bracelets they had on. So gauntlets. Like, they had yeah gauntlets and like Mister T's amount of like necklaces, that's all jewels, you know, pearls, like expensive shit. They started black metal by accident. This is what <laughs> yeah. black metal people would wear if they had money. None of yeah, them do. These, these Dolly sisters were like famous for having this mu much jewelry on. They like, had more jewelry than nobility did. Like these is like kings and queens of small country would be like, holy shit, like we're going to play some poker or baccarat at, in Monte Carlo and they'd see these chicks like decked out more money than like nobility. <laughs> it's like worse than 
anything I've ever heard, really. Because it's like, what did they do for all of that? Well, they're hot and they're sisters. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. But what do they do? Like, how, what, they're famous. They're hot yeah. and they're sisters. You don't understand. They're it's really like Kardashians. Hot. Yeah, but that even seems like that seems like more of a slow burn. Like they're in their twenties. They don't. Ha- yeah. They're coming from Hungary. They don't have. They don't have a Chris Kardashian who's like generationally destroying their morals, which I'm totally right. in favor of. By the way, it's not about. Um, it's about making money. It's just uh, how did they do it? Uh, astonishing. And twenty yeah. years old, and you're you're covered in pounds and pounds of diamonds. Yeah. So they would just sit there at these tables. They'd chain smoke cigarettes and like gamble away all of Harry's money. All where, like they would attract crowds where people just watch them play and like watch them lose money. Like I would probably watch and be like, "Holy shit!" Like you just like put twenty grand down on whatever hand you're playing. Like you know that's fucking insane. Like this it's is an Twitch. Idiot. Why, why don't people this do that on idiot. Twitch? Why don't yeah. people do that on Twitch? Just go play. Like go to a casino and stream it. IRL streams. I mean, those yeah. are like that's like the shittiest. I've I've watched the whole thing on IRL streams where like. You know, these people are like uh, just, just terrible human beings. But anyway. <laughs> How so? I don't understand. Oh, like they, what they do is they have like people like some of them wear backpacks where like their comments are like announced off of the backpacks. So, oh, yeah. Like, I've seen like, a few racial slurs. But then also just like <laughs> dictating like what they do. Like, like, I want you to go touch that girl's butt. And then, like, they do it and, like, assault someone. And there's this one guy that got fucking stabbed because he was, like, calling someone the N-word. And the guy, like, turned around and fucking stabbed him. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll yeah. be honest. We should probably have more of that. <laughs> if, you're, if you're willing to risk your body while a machine on your back yells about the Jews taking over and all other things of sorts. and For fuck's sake, <laughs> they have you go in there, rob a bank. Why not? We're all curious. We want to see it. <laughs> There's several yeah. things I could, I, could, I could write a whole list right now of things I would never do but would love to see. You got to get into the IRL world. I guess so. That's where my money's going. You're going to see me the next week. I'm going to be cracked out. I don't sleep anymore. I tell this one guy named Gerard to go fucking <laughs> uh, slap the people who work at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Rosie of the sisters, Rosie eventually got married to some duke or, or something like that just for a little bit. They divorced, obviously, quickly. But Jenny remained with Harry as a side piece until 1933, when Harry asked her to marry him. Now, shortly after this, Jenny crashed her car into a tree in Bordeaux, probably drunk, fractured her skull, fucked up her face, and then Harry paid for expensive Botox or expensive plastic surgery um, out of his own wallet and also her selling off these jewels just to make her look pretty again. But Jenny quickly realized that there were more rich people and better plastic surgeons in Hollywood because this is the 1930s. So she just straight up leaves Harry Selfridge, goes to Hollywood. Hey, I used to be hot. Promise. Just get me like two appointments with with this guy. I got his number. Just call him. And then you can pay me all you want. Yeah. So she moves back there and uh, she only lasts there a few more years because she would hang herself with a sash from her dress from a, from a shower curtain after a night of partying. Uh, 
All right. Rest in peace or something. I don't know. Nah, or don't you... even rest in peace. Who cares? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. You know, it's formality, maybe. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Harry was went from one of the richest people in the world to barely being able to afford a tombstone. Um, for his own, his family barely affording a tombstone for his own grave. Um, gotcha. Harry was gotcha. never a businessman. He was an ideas man. He was a showman. So during the 30s, Harry was encouraged to make a trust for Selfridges. Now, this basically meant that Harry would get more money, uh, like he would separate the man from the business, right? But now the company had a board, right? So like a board of people that have invested into the Selfridges Trust. Gotcha. And second to Selfridge on this board was Mr. A.H. Holmes, who represented Prudential Assurance Company. We know Prudential. We do. Yeah, they're, they're around. They're still around. Now, Holmes had just sat by and watched this, like, craze spending from Harry. Harry had actually borrowed 150,000 pounds from the company to supplement his spending at one point. He was like, oh, yeah, I don't have enough right now. I'll just take it out of the company. Jeez. Um, there was also a few like failed events that Harry had done. He, like there was some, I think it was the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, actually, um, where he had decked it out in like all this British shit. And like, people were like, this is kind of gaudy coming from this like American shit. He's like, oh, look, we have a section that sells pants and it says crumpets. Cause you guys like those, right? Dude, here's one that says Harry Potter. You could go into Dumbledorst. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Dumbledorst. My favorite historical figure. <laughs> yeah. So there was a few, like, failed... The, obviously, these big events where you, like, decorate the store, like, it costs a lot of money. And when it failed, it wasted a lot of money. Yeah. Now, in 1939, Harry officially became a British citizen. He was nationalized. Now, there's some speculation why he decided to become a British citizen so late in life. I mean, he was in his 80s at this point. Um, mm. First of all, was that uh, the U.S. government had made some new tax law about, you know, U.S. national U.S. citizens making money overseas and having them to pay tax back to the U.S. government. So they think that the reason why he became a, U a British citizen was to avoid paying tax to the U.S. government. What a fucking grift. Unfortunately, this tax evasion backfired because now that he was a citizen of the UK, he owed $150,000 £150, in back taxes. So wow. he was like, I'm not going to pay the US government a single dime of my monies. And then I'm going to come UK. And then they were like, oh, well, you owe us all this money because you've been making all this money in our country. Right. Um, <laughs> if you can keep this in mind, that every government is a criminal organization, you can understand the world better. And uh, it just depends on how bad they are. You know, pick your poison. Yeah, but you got to pay off the criminals, right? That's the idea. Like, you have to get in bed. Like, if he was smart and was a businessman, he he would be using that capital to try to pass legislation to make certain types of stores not have to pay a certain amount of money. Like that's right. That's you make these shady things legal. It's not yeah. about like evasion. Like every rich person, like 
like when people talk about rich people not paying their taxes, it's like that's the tax law. Every single one of these rich people is paying their taxes. Yeah. Like this they, is, they're all the loopholes. Exactly. Everyone's like everyone's doing every billionaire in this country, there's nothing the IRS could do about them. They're yeah. because they're paying the fucking IRS and legislation to make rules and loopholes for them. So people who say, yeah, we need a stronger IRS, you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't need a stronger IRS. You need to change laws. And, and before that happens, no IRS. Right. So it also didn't help. On top of this, you know, he owes $150,000 to his own company. He owes 250 sorry, dollars, 150,000 pounds to his own company, 250,000 pounds to uh, the UK government. On top of that, Harry's son, Gordon Jr., was often in magazines being called a playboy, was off spending money left and right on the company's dollars. Uh, and he was buying planes. He actually crashed his plane in Spain and walked away from it. Like, this kid was just a fucking disaster. Shit. Another thing, I, I didn't mention this when we talked about Harry's side pieces, but another part of this, you could spend anything, was he'd allow these women to go into the store, Selfridges, buy whatever they want and put it on his tab. So these women would oh. just, like rack up fucking money. You know, they'd walk around the store like royalty, like everyone had to kiss their ass. Oh, and a couple just, like Mary Lincoln Todds. Yeah, yeah, except, like except our good-looking first ugly first lady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you know that Abraham Lincoln married Mr. Toad from Mr. Toad's <laughs> Wild Adventure? <laughs> Now, um, the wow factor that the employees uh, got or apparent wow factor of like this pride of working at Selfridges was starting to wear out because many longtime employees were um, quitting and moving to competitors like Harrods or the new department store on the block, Marks and Spencers, which is also around today. Um, Marks and Spencers actually offered better wages pension and benefits so like why the fuck would you work at selfridges <laughs> yeah good point good point so well he's got a dentist so my teeth is better yeah i got yelled at every day by a maniac that brings his broads in and they get to abuse me he comes in at 8 30 in the morning and starts breathing heavy in a hat and coat pants. yeah i like him with the board cracking down on spending, uh, smooth brain Gordon Jr., his son, devised a plan with H.A. Holmes to remove his now 84-year-old father from the business. Good. Kill him. <laughs> Basically, the board voted in 1940 to remove Harry Selfridge from the business. Um, he was giving a, given a meager pension of 400 or of 4,000 pound pension a year. And the honorary title title of president with his own office in the building. So uh, we're like, you're such a good boy. You're going to be president. You could still get your office. Can I still come in and do my breathing exercises? No. You don't have yeah. a key. You don't have a key he, to this place. He was allowed. He was allowed to come in, do his breathing exercises, do all oh. this shit. Holmes, remember, Gordon Jr. had devised this plan. He was expecting to take over his father's... <laughs> position Holmes quickly turned around and fired Gordon and Gordon would eventually work work for Sears down the line he moved back to America and worked for Sears in Chicago was he the was he the guy who decided that they should Sears should sell homes to outdo 
Everything they had at Selfridges? No, that was before. Because Harry was born in 1900. So I think the Holmes thing went until around the 40s-ish. I think it was a little later. Early. I think I think it. I think really? you could buy a Sears home up until the sixties. Yeah, well, I mean, I know. Well, I know it started earlier, so I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't know when it Gordon started, Junior. But yeah, um, yeah. As I mentioned, so Harry still came into the store every day and operated business as usual. He'd still do his same fucking thing, except now he wasn't getting paid. He'd still sit there, do breathing exercises, yell at people, and write his initials in dust. Awesome. Um, now, some of the, a bunch of the employees are actually still listening to Harry over their new board supervisors. So that was not very good with the board. And on top of that, Harry was also thinking about opening up another business at the age of 84 um, across the street, like his own little independent shop. The board quickly squashed this by kicking Harry out of the building and removing his title of president and decreasing his pension even further. So Make him homeless. He deserves nothing. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's an, a dinosaur in the retail industry. Kill him. <laughs> so Harry went from living in one of the biggest estates in England to a small rented two-bedroom flat. Uh, he still wore his Edwardian morning coat and, and suit and his top hat. Now it was all ratty and untailored. And this 80-year-old would show up at Selfridges from time to time and inspect the workers who had no idea who he was. He'd just, like, show up and, like, oh, that's great. You're doing a good job. And one time he looked so uh, downtrodden and he was screaming and yelling. He's also as deaf, too, so, like, he couldn't hear anything. Always he's out there. Man. He's out there in the 40s in a top hat and, like, just, you know, people don't wear top hats in the 40s. Uh, that... He actually got arrested for being a vagabond. Um, that he was that broke outside of his own store. Uh, yeah, I mean that's uh, <laughs> pretty funny actually. Uh, we yeah. should do that more. Yeah, yeah. Just put him in jail. <laughs> exactly. It's a form of home. I mean, uh, addressing honest, the problem. You get, yeah, you get a lot of money from jail. A lot Tall, of free food. Taller jails. <laughs> So uh, the building Selfridges was not spared from the London bombings in World War II. Uh, the upper floors were hit, and a fire destroyed mo most of the offices, including a huge piece of glass that Harry had. Um, basically, anyone famous that came in, like the church, like uh, these people I mentioned, the Churchills, Charlie Chaplin, Greta Garbo, kings, queens, dukes, duchesses. He would all have their autograph etched on this piece of glass. So there was like hundreds of autographs. And okay. that glass was destroyed when uh, the Nazis bombed the roof. What um, a shame. I would love to have a piece of that glass. Yeah. Let me get a piece of glass. Yeah. I'm just going to have uh, a sand and claim it's part of that. So Harry uh, lived to the ripe old age of 91. Um, according to the book I read, um, on Wikipedia, I think it put him at 80, 87 or something, but I, I, he was one of those people that probably lied about his age. So it's probably hard to actually, we um, don't care. It's fine. Age we him. don't, no one cares about this guy. He's died an old man. So he died at the age of 91 in, on May 8th, 1947 of bronchial pneumonia, mm. um, he had once been a multimillionaire, uh, the modern equivalent to a billionaire 
And when he died, he only had a few thousand pounds left. And here is a picture. You would think, right, you've walked through, you know, many a cemetery, and you would think that um, this guy would have, like, one of those big, like, you know, mausoleums or something like that. Well, based but, on what you told me, I, I'm assuming I'm, uh, the picture you're going to show me is just, like, a pet rock with him, well, his name yeah. on it. Like, don't, well, I mean, you know... People will look at you if you know what they're looking at while they look at you, so make sure to look at them. What was that quote you yeah. said earlier that made me want to kill myself? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Make sure you like sit up and notice when people sit up and notice, yeah. and you will sit up and notice or something. <laughs> make sure that you uh, hit children who are playing around your car <coughs> because they are the future, <laughs> and we yes, have to stop are. that immediately. They are the dreamers. Yeah. Make sure to go very fast in school zones. Make sure to brush your teeth every morning so they don't brush you. <laughs> so uh, one little interesting fact about Harry's lineage is that Harry's grandson, a guy named Oliver Selfridge, who was born in 1926, so he would have known his um, grandfather, uh, was is often called the father of mach machine perception and basically pioneered artificial intelligence. He wrote this paper called Pandemonium in 1959 that basically is like, if you're going into artificial intelligence today, like you study this dude, which is kind of weird. Huh, interesting. Um, and he died in uh, 2008, by the way, that guy. Hmm. I saw a picture uh, of but, him, uh, this, this Oliver... And, yeah, uh, yeah. He just looked like he was crying in it. <laughs> oh yeah, his eyes were all goopy. Yeah, why is his eyes? This guy, all he knows how to make the future happen and how to tell uh, Amazon that you need to buy another couch, even though you just bought one. It's uh, probably because whenever he walks around, he sees phones and they're like screaming out in pain because they're like they don't have eyes and ears, right? Like, yeah, he's all these machines are so smart, and we just don't take care of them. <laughs> He's doing some Harlan Ellison stuff, just crying. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna get you. They're gonna get you back. I'm calling it quits. <laughs> so one more closing thought. I actually, when I lived in the UK, I went to Selfridges in Manchester uh, because it, uh, Selfridges was uh, acquired by a few other companies. I think it may have been bought out by Macy's at some point, but they opened up. And this wasn't a historic location one, by the way, in Manchester. I think it opened up in, like, 2001. But I went in there, and I remember they had an American food section. Awesome. Um, and they were basically... Keep in mind, this was when the conversion rate from pounds to dollars was, like, double. So if you paid, like, five pounds, it was $10. Mm -hmm. And they were charging, like, $15 for, like, Fluffernutter and like Aunt Jemima's syrup and shit like that. I'm like, I am not paying fucking thirty dollars for sugar, a fucking yeah. shake and bake, fucking shit. But American cuisine, craft, you understand? Craft, <laughs> yeah, craft singles. Wow. Well, we Travis, will feed you. I'm gonna say this has been a uh, reflective episode of Roast Mortem. Uh, we're reflecting on our own purchasing habits and the things we have now and the things we used to have uh the re the mighty retail store yeah let us only shit on it as much as called for we don't need to continuously shit on the idea of shopping yeah you know i i kind of miss them all to be honest i miss that smell the smell of like old hot dogs uh bleach 
Can we just end the show with like a little bit of vaporwave? Just to like, what? Sure. How about this? I'll just start ending the show now, and you and I will right. talk talk it out. Thanks for listening. And we're going to listen. Thank. Enjoy the vaporwave yeah. music. <laughs> we're going to talk about the last time we went to the mall together. Travis, when was the last time you've been to a mall? Last time I went to a mall, not that long ago. I was looking for some men's some men's wear. You know, it's very hard to find ties. <laughs> like not a lot of places sell ties anymore. The markup on ties is ridiculous. I know it's not that much fabric, but no. you know what I re- see. I miss the fact that when you go to a mall now, like they always have to have like classy food. Like it's still garbage food, but like they have Paneras and like Starbucks. Back in the day when you used to go to like the mall, you go like <laughs> you used to have like Burger King, and, yeah, like, Roy Rogers and stuff like that. Yeah. Like that, that's what <laughs> yeah. it should be, really. Yeah. Because you're you're in a trash environment, you should be yeah indulging like on that level. Yeah, we don't need PF Chang's. We need Panda Express. You know what I'm saying? Right. This makes sense. Actually, speaking of Panda Express, I went to Roosevelt Field recently, and um, that's a big I, boy. It's it is uh, impressive mall, I will say. But uh, what happened was is that I was returning some pants that I bought. I got some Levi's, and they just. The fit was all wrong. So we looked up. There's a Levi's store that calls themselves Roosevelt Field, but it's just in Uniondale, like a mile away. So (laughs) So it's not even in the mall? Yeah, so we walked into the mall, and I'm looking around. It's huge. So I find a map in the middle of the place. There's no Levi's store. (laughs) We've been lied to. So I just drove 40 minutes to stand. So was it in that... Was it in that building that you can see from the train station when you drive through, when you go take the train through? That it's like an office building that just has six 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 on the yeah, top of it. I always park facing that direction. The most badass office building. Like, well, I mean, yeah, you could just have a building called six six six, but they put like giant fucking letters on the top, of, like numbers on the top of that. Yeah, six six six. Giant six six six. And either way, and, and from dicks, you can see it. Oh when yeah! When you're in the inside of Dicks, you're checking out sports socks, and yeah. you see that fucking mark of the beast. That's right. Always checking out these bicycles. All right. See you. That's malls. Bye.